I think we should talk about Perfect Match because I've been watching that on Netflix. Uh, I don't even know what that is. What Perfect Match? Oh, it's a reality TV. It's Netflix's like shared universe reality TV. Series. Oh, I've been watching. I watched all the Perfect Match. Yeah, I've watched all yeah. of that. <laughs> you need to watch more reality TV, Rob. Are you kidding me? No, <laughs> it's, it's such a mess. <laughs> If there's anything that makes me not want to ever be single again, it's watching reality TV because it's just oh, like boy. I realize just what a mess like the dating world is uh, is well, it's always been that way. It was when I was dating too, but I think the only shows I've watched in the last long period of time is The Last of Us and Mayor of Kingstown. I don't think I've seen anything else to be honest. Well, I mean, those are two good shows. That's a lot better than Perfect <laughs> Match. <laughs> Uh, Not really. Dude, perfect match is the shit. Welcome to Podcast X, episode 28. This week, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. I'm back living in the world of the freezing rain. This is our fourth, by the way, not to derail off the bat here, but what, what's going on with this winter? This is the fourth freezing rainstorm in like a month and a half that has like just shut down a city. And I'm in Canada. This is not normal. Like, I, yeah. I feel like every two weeks I got my kids at home, daycares closed. Not just buses. Like they shut down the buildings because everything's frozen ice. And I can't even today, I, again, I can't even open the car door. It's just – it's literally an ice thing. And somewhere in the ice cube is my vehicle. I just – Yeah. I didn't I, have this in dude, New York, okay, you guys, so right? We, yeah. So we – Well, you can move down here to the south in Nashville where today it is 85 and tomorrow it will be 40. <laughs> <laughs> oh and, what? and it's been like this for months now where uh it's summer all during the work week and then it's deep winter during the weekends and then back to summer again for the work weeks so that's how that's we're rolling God. yeah planet earth hates yeah, us I, and you know with good reason it's been <laughs> like uh it's definitely there's been more snow here in colorado than there normally is. i don't not necessarily maybe more than there normally is but enough that we like there's actually snow like built up in my in my yard, which is kind of unusual for Colorado. Usually, you know, it, it melts at some point because we get so much sun here that it gets it just gets warm enough. But there's actually like a decent amount of snow. It feels like over at Ashley's parents' house, it's almost like when I was in Montreal. Like they have probably like two or three feet of just like built up snow along their driveway that's not melting, which was I had not encountered until my time in Montreal. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, I had never heard of freezing rain until I moved to Canada. And that is like the worst stuff on the planet. I cannot begin to like express really? how much I hate freezing rain. Yeah. I had to explain via photos uh, to some of my coworkers from the UK who also did not understand. Like, I was like, what yeah. is that? And I showed them pictures of like the trees where the entire, like every branch, every twig is covered <laughs> in like, you know, a yeah. half centimeter and a centimeter of ice, and like, yeah, that's my whole car. Yeah, I it over Instagram. Yeah, we were sn- we were iced into our street for ten days in February 2021, and after that, it was it flooded so close that it was up from the woods, and my house is up uh, is up this steep steep ravine embankment above these woods, 
and the but the woods are used for flood outing and like it nearly flooded up to my house after that so yeah it was a great year like it was uh but that freezing yes it was freezing rain and people don't understand yeah. it's not quite like hail like which bounces and piles freezing ranges totally. it's like it's like a drop of water that hits shit and turns it to ice like ice man exactly. it. and it's just like <laughs> it's like oh fuck and then like yeah so your shit becomes literal blocks of ice it's nice. Yeah, it's like what Sub Zero does to you. Like, yeah, it's like exactly. That's like if you want to know what it's like. It's like Sub Zero is just like shooting freezing rain. That's what he's people doing. People get really fucked it's up fine. because visibly they think it's like rain for a minute. They're like, "Oh, it's just precipitating." Like, okay, I'm going to drive yeah. my four by four, and then they fucking slide into a goddamn wall in two seconds because no, it's a sheet of ice falling from the sky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you get black ice. It creates what they call black ice, right? Where the, where the road looks yep. wet and like dark, but no, it's actually there's sheets of ice everywhere, and it's so bad that like, when kids can go to school, like they'll let them go outside because they just like smash their heads. And yeah, I, I'm saying this happened today again, and not to laugh at my dog, but every time I open the back door to let the dog out, he basically like like Metroid rolls out the door. He takes one step and he just <laughs> wipes out. It's yeah, it's no, I'm it's laughing, bad. but poor. Poor guy. Once he gets older, no, he can't do that. Like our house, the front of our house, our house is brick, and it's they have like the entryway to our house is covered, like because the way our house, like there our garage juts out from the front of our rest of our house, so like it creates a natural tunnel, like to get to our front door, and like oh. we can, <laughs> and so no precipitation falls down there. We have like a long stretch of like kind of covered brick walkway. It is because like yeah. it's the only place you can stand. But like literally, the reason we were snowed in or iced in was for the same reason. Like none of us could walk out because you have to walk out of this little tunnel around the corner and down like in, into our long driveway, and like nobody could make it. We could make it out into like the first <laughs> couple steps out of the tunnel, and because it's a tunnel, like a lot of precipitation also falls down. Like if it's heavy rain, the gutters. It is too fast for the gutters. And in freezing rain, your gutters get frozen instantly. So then anything else just begins to pile up. Like we had like it falls down like and so this tunnel will have like almost like a waterfall effect. So like you're behind a waterfall when you come out of our front door and shit. And so like, yeah, that turned to ice, too. And like so that whole thing was just like a sheet (laughs) curtain of ice. And like, yeah, we couldn't go past that doorstep without like the kids or me or Allie like busting all having busted our asses like really seriously. And it was just like, because you can't put your foot down. There is no traction. Like you're just like, well, maybe if I, and then you're just done. Like, yeah. And you're like, okay, (laughs) fuck this. I'm going back inside. And like, you don't come out for two days. Totally. It's really true. I don't. You never came to the the second house in Montreal, right? You never were at the like house on the hill that I bought, right, Rob? You came uh, to the, you came to the house that I was running, but you didn't come to the first house I bought. I don't think. Gosh, I feel like I've seen three houses there. Am I miscalculating yeah. on this? No, but you may have. It was more like the farmhouse one that had like. It had an awesome entryway and like these vault, like massive vaulted ceiling. It was such a cool house. I love. I remember this gigantic house, and then I remember the house you had the chickens at. Yeah, so the gigantic house is the one that, yeah, not the one with the chickens, but the, uh, <laughs> um, that house was like on this hill. And the first time we ever like really got bad freezing rain in Montreal, we were coming back from Plattsburgh actually, and just like having gone down to the the U.S. for like you know the afternoon to get like Taco Bell and stuff like that. Nice and shop at a Target or whatever. But <laughs> like we we were driving up that hill got to the top of the hill i put the car in park because we couldn't get up my driveway because it was so like there was so much freezing rain on it 
and at the top of the hill, my car just started sliding. What? And I like had to j- steer it into the grass that was covered in snow in order to not slide down, slide down the hill, even though it was in park, because that hill was so steep. Like I, there was like I could have very easily just barreled down that hill straight into a neighbor's house in my car if I hadn't like thought to swerve into the uh, or like grass. It wasn't really swerving; it was just kind of like I tilted it towards the the grass and it, it slid into the grass and I was able to just park it there overnight. But you know from Pennsylvania, I've had to do black ice. I've had a high speed full 180 spin out in the highway on a piece of black ice, which I didn't know. Cool. And I was like, why is the whole road shimmering? And then I was like, oh my God. And like like yeah. That was in Ohio somewhere. Yeah, I've had my high school uh, like where we were all like freezing rain and we were like, oh shit, we were supposed to meet at the gym for practice. And we're like, there's no way this is happening. We all tried to leave and just like slid slowly down the driveway of our high school. I crashed in the curb, <laughs> bent my tire, and fucking had to get a new fucking tire. That shit was yeah. so like, yeah, and it was so slow. Like it was like, that's the shit's the worst because it's like slow motion. You're watching it. You're like, ah, it's like Austin Powers where you're like screaming and then you have to stop, take a breath, keep screaming because you're still sliding. But there's no shit you can do because that's that because no lie. And I do not mean this with any kind of snark or any kind of humor, but that's the renter shit that happens. Like you get out of the car yeah. and you're like, oh, fuck, this thing is sliding. I got to do something. And then you try mm-hmm. to do something and then your ass gets run the fuck over. That's almost happened to my ass, too. So I hope Jeremy Renner, like all seriousness, has a speedy recovery because I know he saved his nephew and yeah. shit. Like, but that shit, it's so slow, but you can still yeah. get fucked up and it's so messed up. Again, that's yeah, it's scary when you I made it all the way to the end and I didn't laugh. The uh, <laughs> the actual feeling of losing complete control is the scariest thing when you're inside of any weighted vehicle. I did this in a, just before yeah. – I guess I was in university. I was still living in the country. Like the later years, and I lived with my parents for a few years, finishing up grad school whatever. And I tried to like – you know, not to exaggerate, but I was basically doing like a fast and furious reverse out of the out of the country driveway, and then it was like no big deal. And it's like no, it was a big deal because it kind of spun out and reversed right into a tree, and I kind of took out the spoiler and a bit of the trunk. Yeah, uh, the only time I ever caused an incident with a car. I'm I, trust me, I'm a good driver. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna move. I feel like this is the first time we're all getting old, and I I don't like the six month winter anymore. Maybe having kids does that too, but. No, I mean it. It felt this summer or this winter's felt like it's felt like oppressive in a way that yeah. I don't think it, it has previously, like or at least in recent memory. But um, okay, well, this has been episode twenty-eight of Podcast X, where we talk about the weather. Baseball. <laughs> um, yeah. So we are also joined by special guest Kofi Outlaw. Um, he's here too, surviving the what are just sounds like a roller coaster of weather in uh, in Nashville. Lots yeah, of ups and downs nice. there, but um, this week we're going to be talking Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, and then Kofi and I have seen Cocaine Bear, and uh, and have and have thoughts about that as well. So um, we can start off. We'll start off with Ant Man and the Wasp. Which of you guys wants to go first? I uh, I ha- I actually have no idea what either of you thought of this movie. So I'm, I'm um, curious. Kofi, you want to take us away? Um, sure. Uh, Ant-Man and a Wasp. Ant-Man is a Wasp is a movie, and it has people. Um, <laughs> that's about the best thing you can say about it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I know we record these a little bit later. We've all been busy and tired and doing stuff. But, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of exhausted. Everything I, I have to say about Ant-Man I, I have an epic Twitter thread kind of going into it. Well, you know what? You know, for no tonight's night, tonight's whiskey, tonight's uh, drink is a classic whiskey sour. Um, we're gonna hey. go back and and yeah, you know what? 
I, I mean, this is podcast X. This is kind of a lab where I work things out. So let's do that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like I said a lot on the, on the excellent and hopefully award-winning comic book nation podcast show about, you know, did this, there's a whole YouTube video. Me and Janelle Wheeler kind of went into it about breaking this movie down. But, um, after I did that, I actually went back and watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. So this is the first time I've actually talked about Ant-Man Quantumania after having seen Ant-Man and the Wasp again, because it's been a while. Um, I, I think Quantumania is continuing this weird trend of phase four, taking our heroes and trying to do, quote unquote, like new things with them. But like not really, but really just kind of messing up things that were working in the franchise in the process with the cheap production values. I feel like I think I've said this before and I've been public about it. I feel like Marvel plan phase four and we're it, it, we're kind of a rare thing because we are a group of people who are all around for phase one and we covered yeah. phase one professionally. A lot of these punk ass kids out here now, like we're in high school, you know, in their rooms, popping pimples, like when phase one was happening, they didn't jump. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a whole generation of this new generation of like, you know, TikTokers and Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, film, Twitter heads that like literally were, didn't jump into the MCU till phase two when they were old enough to really take it seriously. But we were covering phase one, like, and I remember how many nuts articles there were about the trials and errors of phase one that, you know, Kevin Feige and them who now look like experts really had to kind of smooth out, you know, really, if we want to be really technical, Marvel, Marvel only had it really rolling really well for one phase. And that was three, the rest of it kind of messes. Uh, but you know, yeah. I'm not going to fight that uphill battle <laughs> of making people remember facts in history. But, um, I think phase four's biggest misstep was that I feel like they sat down and, they almost did the Netflix thing when they were like, okay, here's the budget. Here's the amount of hours we're going to fill. Like, let's plan a bunch of content. And they just planned it as one big blob and then cut it into, is it a series in this many hours or is it a movie in this many hours? And this is the budget for this. And this is the budget for that. But like, I think we learned in phase four that none of this stuff can be planned as like one big content blob because I feel like the movies suffer because they begin to feel more like TV shows and the TV shows, while they might be slightly more movie-ish still feel like just kind of extraneous additions to like non-essential most of the time. Um, so it's kind of weird. So I think going forward in phase five and six, they really need to get back to figuring out like project by project, like what can this thing do as a T like what can do well as a unique TV experience and what is worthy of like a film budget and, and the time and investment. I'm glad since all this has come out that we've heard Marvel say, like in Disney say, hey, we're slowing down. We're going to put more time between these things. We're not going to get that that crazy year like we got last year with Marvel projects every Sunday after church and shit. Like, you know, we're going to be able to take some time and have these get quality and, and make us want them again each time. So I hope all that takes place. But um, after, let's deal with what we got now. I've seen two Marvel movies recently. Uh, I watched Wakanda Forever again, and I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp again. Both of those movies make me really kind of even more aggravated with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, just taking it like with Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
the real fun of these movies to me is the honey. I shrunk the kids stuff. And if you say you didn't care about that stuff in the first two Ant-Man's like, you really don't like this franchise for anything <laughs> except seeing handsome yeah. Paul Rudd do handsome Paul Rudd stuff. But like, that's the fun. Like the best parts of these movies are when we shrink down and see Scott Lang interacting with a bigger version of the world. We know, right. Um, I loved people rag on Ant-Man and the Wasp, but that shit looks like pure cinema comparatively to phase four. Now, when you go back and watch uh, like, like all those creative things they did with the chase scenes, because Ant-Man and the Wasp is just one big chase scene. And yeah. like, there's so many great sequences, like with their size changing car or gags, like Hank Pym shrinking the entire lab and carrying it. The first fight with ghost and, you know, Sonny Birch and all when Wasp really makes her debut and running along the knife and shit like that is amazing compared to what we got in Quantumania, which just strangely takes the size changing fun out of Ant-Man strangely takes everything that was complex and interesting to write about the quantum realm and just kills all of it. Like all of it dead. Like it, it, they just make the quantum realm is now just Disney strange world CGI leftovers like meets avatar <laughs> avatars, not even beta like Zeta coding. And like, that's what we're calling the quantum realm now. Whereas like in the first two Ant-Man films, there was this crazy metaphysical space and so many things that I go back, they actually tease the void, the century void in the fucking second one in there. And it's a highway and a pathway to so many other things like the Avengers. And, and it just that premise and how would they do with the quantum realm and making Ant-Man boring and all the questions that it raises take me out of this film just about every second, like literally like every second. Every time I saw Ant-Man fight, I'm like, so is he just a slightly less tiny dude in a tiny realm? <laughs> Is that what we're doing with the shrinking? Are pin particles like that exact? Like, like okay, and Cassie's just like instantly like adept with all this, like good at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, if you're gonna do this, like, it would have been more interesting to force the Ant Man family to rely on skills they don't normally do without their size changing. Right? You could have saved budget yeah. and had a story reason for that, and be like, it'd have been point. It's pointless in a quantum realm, and we all would have been like, yeah, it would be pointless in a quantum realm. But instead, we just kind of like roll with it and we're like, nah, fuck it. Don't ask those questions. Like, so the quantum realm is now like a less fun world. It's just kind of a weird green screen backdrop that doesn't look much different from any other like Earth to begin with, except for the weird guy saying I need holes like that's supposed to make this all different. And yeah, and then the story doesn't there's so much of the story that's just kind of weird and doesn't make sense. Like, again this whole idea about Kang and Janet and escaping like gets so much more complicated. If you use one brain cell to be like, well, like why is everybody freaking out at Cassie Lang? Like hope Van Dyne and fucking Hank Pym sent many signals down to the quantum realm. They did all kinds of shit trying to find Janet down there. Janet made yeah. contact, not just made contact with fucking Scott Lang, but quantum entangled with him to be able to like share the same mind and, and do all that weird shit they did in the second movie with, you know, Paul Rudd pretending to be Michelle Pfeiffer at different times. Janet came back from the quantum realm with all this quantum energy that she used to fucking heal ghost. And then the whole post credit scene, in that movie was Scott going to harvest quantum energy to help stabilize ghost and do other shit. Like, None of that comes into play in this movie. 
like quantum energy is not even like mentioned or a thing, even though energy is like the fucking most important thing in this movie. So, I mean, these are just the things I hated the, and I didn't think that there was a good script for like the Cassie Lang character, which again, I feel like these movies in phase four were just like cut out of a fucking bullshit cheese mold that had nothing to do with the rest of the MCU. Like, or COVID prevented them from not hiring back the people who have to go back and watch all this shit for every detail. Because, like, Cassie Lang's whole character in Ant-Man is being the one person who believes in her father, even when it looks like he's doing wrong, that he's, like, a hero and does the right thing in this unfailing belief. And, yes, teenagers become teenagers and they rebel. But, like, I I think it would have been less stereotypical and more interesting, both as a modern character and towards this young Avenger shit we're obviously building towards, to have her be a character who's suffering something like anxiety or, or, or kind of apprehensiveness about trying to achieve something that her father achieved. You know, her father who saved the fucking entire goddamn universe. Like, in having her live up to that as, as she's wanted to. Because there's a whole monologue that's the one of the best parts in the second film. is a monologue with her and him, like, where she's kind of, like, laying out, like, hey, maybe you need a partner. And he's like, yeah, maybe you're right. And she's like, I'd be a great partner and I'd watch your back. And he's like, oh, I know you would, Peanut. And he's like laughing about it. He's like, but I'd be a terrible father if I let you or something like that. And like, yeah. And that's when she says, okay, well, Wasp wants to be your partner and all that shit. And it's supposed to be cutesy. But like, that's a moment that happened, like, that, that you definitely should go back to and call back to, like, that this girl wanted to very much be his partner and be out there and doing shit. And her dad saved the universe. So the rebellious teenager thing just felt like, so lazy and kind of tacked on and just like Cassie's rebellious and going to prison, but also so woke because she's saving like, you know, homeless people and that's why she's in jail. And so it's like the both. And it's like, okay, I've never met a teenager. I mean, maybe things are different now, but I do know a couple teenagers who I'm like related to and shit. And like, yeah, they're, they're a lot more conscientious these days, but like, I don't meet many who are both like, I'm so badass, I'll stay in the slammer, but I'm so woke that I won't let homeless people get evicted. Like, that's, uh, that's a that's focus. a rare combination. Yeah, that's a yeah. focus group right there. That's not like a human character. Yeah. And, Chad, you know, I'm not hating on Catherine Newton. I've loved Catherine Newton and everything she's pretty much done. Yeah, I loved good. her in Freaky. I loved her in uh, Paranormal Activity 4. Like, She's been killing it since a young age, and so I, I think she's great. Um, and, and I don't mean this in any creepy way. I mean this more in like a dad way now that I'm a dad. But like, you know, she's got that great kind of screen presence. She can hold the camera. She's you know she's fun to look at and just see. She's funny. She's you know pretty. It's good. She's fine. I'm not on the Catherine Newton hate train with anybody else. But um, yeah, the script for this was such a mess from the premise to the execution. To like, I mean, they. I don't care. I mean, James Gunn did silly shit with that James, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special on a budget with a rubber Groot suit. Like, you could have had more practical rubber suited characters and shit like that. Go weird if we're gonna go there. But like, the green screen shit just felt hollow. It felt tired. The quantum realm felt the like the least fun, interesting place. There's so much Marvel lore about the microverse and its entire world and cultures and cities and ancient societies and shit. This was like the most bland, boring version of it. And yeah, I mean, it's great as, you know, a pilot episode to introduce Kang the Conqueror. Um, Jonathan Majors is doing his thing. But like, again, it's just weird that we're getting villains. And I feel like it's been like this 
I mean, arguably since Black Panther, even like, which was a movie I still, the first one I like very much, but Black Panther one, Black Panther two, Infinity War, Endgame, like, yeah, I mean, villains are just, I mean, Thor Ragnarok, like villains, I feel like are just kicking ass in this and almost like walking away with a show in a lot of these movies lately. They're getting that Batman syndrome where yeah. it's just like, yeah, I'd rather just watch this movie about the villain. Like, I don't even give a shit about you, hero. Like, your shit's boring me. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> like, gore, oh, gore, like the whole thing. Like, I mean, even like, or the God butcher, like, so like, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like you, I feel like you really like shifted my perspective on this. So I, Rob, do you want to go? Yeah. I mean, look, I think Marvel Studios really fucked up because they took Kofi away from me. Like a Co- Kofi was the, you and me were like the Ant-Man defenders <laughs> <laughs> against Ben. Ben's oh, yeah, the it's true. Uh, I, yeah. So they've. Pull the 180 on this. Um, look, I, I agree. I think I think if you um, think about it too much, there are some retcons you pointed out, especially from the from the sequel. Um, uh, I also agree. Like one of my first thoughts coming out of this is that how like they try to throw so many visual things via blue screen backgrounds, like just scratching the surface of the quantum realm, the different landscapes and environments and factions. It feels like they left an entire Dune franchise in there. <laughs> That's just like, well, just ignore all that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I, I have to be honest. I actually quite, um, I enjoyed watching this movie the same way I enjoyed Ant-Man one and two, but f- certainly for different reasons. Um, and f- you know, this is the one movie out of the last like 10 or whatever. And of course we get little kids. So it's different that my wife and her friend are going to go see as well. She, you know, we just, it still has to me enough of the reliably fun, funny and heartfelt, action adventure elements and it still has the likable family unit and it still has some notable gimmicks which kind of work well on their own and they certainly i think work well within this sub-universe um as well um i mean these movies even the third one i, I still think they're highly recommendable to friends and family i think there's safe bets to watch as like this is a movie you can go to the theater and be happy enough with and this is also a movie when it comes out streaming you'll you'll it's going to be a good time i think that's one thing the ant-man trilogy has maintained for me um despite the differences from movie to movie uh this of course given the nature of the quantum quantum mania of it all it's obviously the most zany and extreme version of that since they take the family out of their world and flip the script um i i like the idea that they had uh the balls to go full quantum realm. Like the entire film is not on earth. They get the, the intro and outro cards with the Scott Lane voiceover, but the rest of it, um, they were able to take this part of the family out of the MCU and out of the, you're MCU surprised by that. that? I feel um, like, I feel like surprised. There was a, how many, I'm trying to think like how many actual phase four films actually took place in like, they've been avoiding anything to have to do with the shared earth, like the plague. Like oh, everybody's Strange, like, yeah, everybody's example. going yeah. everywhere. Thor's cool. off world. Yeah. Everything's yeah. <laughs> off where Black Widow's in the past. Um, Shang-Chi is all about a secret society that nobody knows about on earth that keeps to themselves. So is Wakanda forever. So is Eternals. Like, yeah, they're avoiding anything that has to do with shared earth and that Avengers tower, like a fucking plague. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly a, a time delineation error they're creating and of course within that we have the problems of that these movies create themselves the eternals being the biggest one where they left a, <laughs> the title, a tide changing earth-sized statue up north that no one is referencing especially namor um yeah i mean no it doesn't surprise me uh just on its own i like the idea that they were willing to tell a story like you know going back to what you were referencing like you know we've the three of us have been around since literally the beginning uh before the beginning and 
if you told me that they would do an entire film within the quantum realm, I, I, w- I almost wouldn't believe it. I remember, uh, and I was taking notes on this like a week ago and after seeing this, like back in when the first Ant-Man came out, 2015. So it would have been fall 2014. I was in Atlanta for the first Ant-Man set. Basically. It was the first film. They just built this new Pinewood studio. And of course, since then, they've been 20. Oh, wow. There. But but th- th- what was cool at the time is like, this is it's so different. It was, Edgar Wright had just been replaced last minute. <laughs> Paul Rudd was taking over writing duties. And Michael Douglas was like, I don't know if I want to join a movie where the lead stars writing the movie. What's going on? And then <laughs> Peyton Reed was telling how he's going to make it his own. But, but, and, and, and the, but the, the interesting part was they were showing us for the first time ever in any of these superhero films, they had a third unit to do the macro photography, which speaks to what Kofi was saying. This movie doesn't have that, obviously. Um, but the big discussion point was like, we were going to go into the quantum realm or we're going to tease that of the shrinking effects. And of course, my question, and I was looking through like old set visit interviews, and I, I remember asking them this thing, like saying, like, are we going to see or hint at the microverse? Is there going to be a civilization down here? Fast forward eight years later, and it's like, oh my gosh, they actually did kind of gigantic, no, sort of there's a giant civilization down there and and, and that part of it's kind of neat i actually kind of dig the rebels for what they are in this film and oh my god especially and nobody's talking about this online the rebels have these walking flying gun toting buildings like why is no one talking about this these, these no, are the single are greatest awesome. the greatest combat units in the history of the mcu the history of fucking cinema they have windows and people shoot out the windows while the building's walking like they look like giant cactuses cacti without spikes it's incredible like what design work i mean come on that to me makes the movie alone more of that um that shit looked like out of a rival i was like what the fuck yeah Yeah. oh my god i'd see like there's there's little weird things like that where you just like i like do like a double take i'm like is that really what i think it is in the background walking around there uh i feel bad for the vfx artists and it's very well documented and there's new news reports even today about how they have such limited resources. Marvel has such short deadlines and they're changing things in the fly and reallocating people to like, I think today they were saying like Wakanda forever needed more help. So they took people off of this and it's just, they're always like cannibalizing itself to, to deliver these extremely BFX and, and every product suffers, um, which leads me to like some of the, some of the negatives. Right. So, um, I mean like just seeing Michael Douglas in that weird too clean duster and all of VFX shots behind him. I feel like, He's in a different movie and doesn't care half the time. And the other half of the time, I think he plays a cool He didn't grandfather. give a fuck in they, this movie. Yeah, it's weird, right? No, he, he showed up for his three days and he was like, my grandkids yeah. think I'm cool. Yeah. Look, and, and now he's saying if they do an Ant-Man 4, he hopes he, they just kill him off. He's like so done with this, um, which is – that's like a growing narrative because Batista and Zoe Saldana and now him, like they're all saying this stuff. Like we're so done with this franchise. Let us out. Um, this is how you interview then, MCU people. You're like, are you guys all joining us? You guys have been here. It's like 15 years and they're like, kill me. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> So it's it's uh, long overdue for this Catherine Newton Young Avenger stuff. They gotta remove this old guard, I guess, or they're gonna Look, take themselves out. And this movie taught me that Michelle Pfeiffer still looks good enough in de aging that we should keep her around. You can kill off Hank Pym for real. Like it's just never <laughs> been a dick. He's been never been anything um, but a dick everywhere. So like, why not? True. Oh yeah. I mean, especially in the comics. Jeez. Um, but it, uh, look, it's just weird. Like I think. The Hope Scott relationship, which you would think would be central to this, is, is not, and I don't think they have any chemistry. Who? There's one nice shot. To, yeah, exactly. And it's like you see them. There's one fun shot when they go out for beers on the top of the bridge, and that's it. The rest of the movie, like I feel like they don't even 
they don't want to work together. <laughs> work together, and, and it's it's crazy. And speaking of Michelle Pfeiffer, like they got to stop making everyone, and it's not just her, but everyone has perfect hair and makeup and de aging effects. Like in every single sequence, when they take their masks off from a mid fight, it's like they had to really work hard to put some like blood marks and scratches on Scott Lang at the end of the film, um, which is weird. Uh, you After can't get mention- the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he was exactly. like looking actually halfway decent for getting going. Fucking ten rounds with uh, with Jonathan Majors. <laughs> exactly, uh, <laughs> he's like the most ripped actor in Hollywood right now. It feels like. Um, oh my god! Look, yeah, this last couple of weeks has just been Jonathan Majors flexing on my ass. Yeah, and then on Black like, Twitter, all the conver- all the controversy because he did a magazine cover for I forget who, where he's very much in oh, like uh, fem rock. Yeah, so it's oh, been an, it's been a weird yeah, week. So. It's been a really weird week. We're all over the place. Uh, it was Ebony Magazine. He did the cover. Oh, shoot. yeah, it's Ebony. Uh, and, uh, well, I should have. Yeah, the it, Canadian knew that. I did not know that. And it's still black. I know because people, people, are, yeah, people were causing, you know, there's a bunch of bullshit out there. But but the, the, that photo shoot in the costume was inspired by anime, funny enough. So it, it, <laughs> that's what the photographer said. But anyways, yeah, he's got these two. He's got Creed 3, which is amazing. And he's got yeah, it was this, Luffy from One amazing. Piece. And that's it exactly, and um, and he's got uh, devotion coming out too on, on home video right now. So like, this is the year of majors, and it's just getting started. So that's really exciting. His costume is cool. They went. I'm glad they went for it. Like, they, I actually think it looks great in live action. The the mask, and I understand why they did it to give the blue face effect and change the eyes, I guess. But it's it's just weird. I'm kind of sick of these CGI masks. Like Thor just killed it for me for sure. All the Thor movies. Oh CGI yeah, masks. Thor killed it for everybody with that oh, shit. God. Love and thunder. Oh yeah, God. Thunder. walking. Yeah, the, this one, yeah. every conversation, they jump up, press a button on their little wrist, and like the mask disappears, and their hair is perfect, and they talk to each other, and they put it back on. It's like – it's everything we hate about when Spider-Man movies have to reveal the face to let that Peter Parker speak. Um, but it's just terrible in these CGI ones. And for Kang specifically, there are shots when he just has it on for no reason. Like he walks in – just one sequence. It's not a spoiler to say, but he walks into the jail cells to talk to Cassie and Scott. He just has the blue mask on for no reason. He just takes it off. And it's like, what is this? In case they stank. You don't know how people are about their hygiene. They might stink. Does it's true, but uh, yeah. Just, I mean, I don't know. Um, no, um, there was something I couldn't stop because Evangeline Lilly did an interview and she was talking to Jimmy Fallon and she was saying that like every time they've gotten so used to every time they have to do the effect of the Ant Man and the Wasp helmet coming on, they have to do this <laughs> thing where they lower their head, like throw it down. And she's oh. saying she makes this like click sound and breathing sound every time she does it because the only way she can do it. Right? Oh, every time throughout the movie, I couldn't stop seeing it. I was like cracking up because it is. Oh once you see God, it, it never stops. It me. Oh, no, you can't stop seeing it once you hear it. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you realize like that they're just sitting there like throwing their head down like – and they have to do so it. so weird. It's so fucking funny. It, um, I'll drop two more points and, and then uh, Ben, you can share your thoughts. But uh, I, look, I, another thing that's kind of missing a little bit – it's in the movie, but it's missing in the grander scheme. It's like the ants. Like the Anthony of it all in the previous films and the, the ants oh, element is like pretty crucial, especially when Kang says you talk to ants or whatever to, to Scott or Hank or whatever. But yeah. look, the ants are awesome. They, they team up at the beginning of the film and they are awkwardly left out of the entire movie until they're like late, you know, it's in the final act. And after they're introduced again, they're still left out until the very, very last moment when they have the rise of Skywalker. Not even that. It's the return of the King ghost army moment where they just like come in and do their thing. Um, I'm pretty sure they just deep faked Valkyrie's entrance in Thor Ragnarok from that scene. And they just replaced it with Hank Pym. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because even the walk is the same. Like if you go back and look at it. Same wide shot. Yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) That's why we were joking. Um, Me and my brother went to see it. We're like, God damn. 
Every time you go cosmic, I think cosmic in the MCU means just one really long road that looks kind of futuristic. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they always have long like roads. Pl- <laughs> and half the shots are just plastered fake dirt. They stand on it and everything's just blue screen around them. They can move the camera around. But um, one more thing, this is a nitpick for everything as well. I, I talked about the masks. The other thing that they got to stop, they, ha- they have to stop this, is these hologram exposition scenes. We saw it in Guardians of the Galaxy. We saw it in Loki. We saw it with the ancient one in Endgame talking to Bruce Banner. We see it with Kang here where like he's talking to Janet and he's got his PowerPoint presentation ready to go of like explaining timelines and hinting at the incursion. It's like, guys, we got to do better. And, and look, Jeff Lovinus wrote this. He's one of the writers from like Rick and Morty and he's doing uh, Avengers 5. I almost thought they'd be smart enough to poke fun at themselves, knowing that the meta joke of like they keep doing these like hologram exposition scenes to explain the multiverse and timelines to people in every goddamn movie. I almost would have rather Kang about to explain what's going on and a greater threat coming to Janet and having an intern enter the room and like literally show a PowerPoint presentation. And then they could have poked <laughs> fun at it, right? And, and winked at the audience. That would have been the smart yeah. Rick and Morty writing, but they just didn't do it. And they, they stuck to their guns with this bullshit exposition scene. Um, stop talking about excursions. Stop showing me holograms. There's got to be a better way to tell the story. Or go for the, uh, and I'll leave for it there. the, for the woke win and have Janet, like should have started him explaining and being like, Janet being like, you know, I am a double PhD scientist, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. So I'll jump in. So I feel like, so I feel like, as the person who has gone on record on this podcast as saying that I don't actually like the Ant Man movies very much, that I went in after I saw the reviews being so low from from people I respect too, like you know, not just like looking at the total Ron Tomato score, like you know, I mean, Kofi made a really strong case here for why he didn't like it. I went in thinking I'm going to hate this movie and I came out of it thinking like, you know what? I think I liked this movie more than most people did, but I, I do see everything that you're saying Kofi. And like, I, I think one of the things that I did come out of it really missing and Rob, you brought up the ants too. I, I did really miss the kind of honey. I shrunk the kids com- like piece of it because there's very, there's very, very, very little of like, small version of you know paul rudd running around with like massive obstacles and stuff like they they really kind of like leaned into the giant man stuff as being you know i guess like more entertaining for the action set pieces than doing that like shrink down stuff and you know i i get that they did the you know the one scene where they have the million ant mans and the wasps and there's this sort of like you know all of the different probabilities and possibilities happening simultaneously thing pretty cool scene it was a it was a cool scene, but I feel like that they kind of probably like swapped the that cool in. scene. Yeah, I mean it, it was a great scene, and even just the way that you know, there's like subversive moments with the Baskin Robbins version of him that doesn't actually <laughs> make a lot of sense because like they're all splitting off from his decision, but that guy's there anyway and stuff. But um, you know, like I like that, and I like that they all kind of like forecasty and you know and everything, but. I feel like that scene kind of takes the place of what would have been an awesome Honey, I Shrunk the Kids scene. And I liked the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids scenes more in those movies than I liked that scene, even though it was like inventive and something new. Like, I kind of feel like when you go into one of these movies, you want to see that really crazy Honey, I Shrunk the Kids scene. That's like, you know, how are they going to do it again? How are they going to make that cool again? And now we have the quantum realm. I guess this was their, their sort of answer to that, but it wasn't as satisfying to me as, as that would have been. 
Um, I also agreed that like a lot of the Lang, you know, family stuff is just sort of, you know, or like Pym family stuff, I guess, like is just sort of, I don't know. I mean, Cassie is mishandled in the way that you were talking about Kofi. Like, I think the idea of her, you know, having this kind of woke agenda and being, you know, a rebellious teenager was the less interesting thing than her kind of coming into her own and living up to the, you know, sort of the shadow that her father, who's also a fallible person, there was a more interesting story to probably be told there. But on balance, I actually kind of just like Doug going on the ride of this and not, I feel like I was more disappointed by like Dr. Strange than I was this one, to be honest. Because I felt like that had been built up in a way to me that was like, Ooh, you're hitting oh, two, amazing. Yeah, you're hitting two sweet spots. I, I, I do want to put a pin in. Okay. The but yeah, I mean, I I feel like that sort of ultimately felt less satisfying and delivering on its premise than this did. But you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to like. Sometimes I get like swept up in things like a really great performance from one character, and I did really dig Kang and Jonathan Majors. And my only complaint about all that is that they fucking kill him because they're you know doing this whole thing of or you know may have killed him, but. They're doing this whole thing of like, instead of Thanos being this intimidating force that sort of is omnipresent in the MCU and, you know, we're going to come to a head with him. It's like the whole thing here is the multiverse of it all. And we're building up to all these Kangs and and everything. But none of the other Kangs, I feel like, are going to be as interesting to me as that one was or as sympathetic or as real of a... What made Thanos so interesting is he started out as kind of just this like caricature and a floating CGI caricature and a floating chair, you know, the, in a, in sort of Avengers buildup. And by the end, it was actually like, he was kind of a sympathetic, you know, character in a way. And we could understand why he was doing the thing that he was doing. And even though he was doing terrible things and he was hurting characters that we cared about, like Josh Brolin's performance really shined through that. And he was sort of a singular thing that had evolved into this really multi-layered interesting you know but also badass villain and i feel like this time it's like they keep showing us kangs and then ripping those kangs away from us and this one to me is probably the most like layered of the kangs that we're gonna get the other guys we see at the end of the fucking in the end credits are just kind of the like you know they're like i don't know it's like whatever you know, I don't know, Vampire Kang, and then there's like other Kang, and it's not. Uh, I believe we got Ramatut Immortus is the popular theory, although I thought He Who Remains was Immortus, uh, yeah. and Scarlet Centurion or some shit. I don't know. There's so many Kangs. Yeah, but it's just like I don't know. I mean, it's cool. You know, like I get, I get. It's the multiverse of it all, but like if this Kang doesn't come back, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna call bullshit on this because it. I think that would be a real missed opportunity because this Kang seems like the one that I don't I know. I would to, have right? gravitated to. He, I would think the, he has to. He is the conqueror, and if according to the Council, the Interstellar Council of Kang or whatever, uh, he's uh, the exiled one that they all exiled together. I thought so. I feel like there's no way he doesn't come back. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a central. Like, what would be the Kang? I don't know. And this the Kang Dynasty movie is weirder than I thought, and there's going to be a whole bunch of Kangs in that one. But I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think I ultimately kind of enjoyed it more just because I, I went in with low expectations. I think it's kind of harmless. But I also think, you know, I knowing what you guys loved about these movies and the things that I did appreciate about them, of them sort of being a break from all the bullshit 
in the MCU and then just sort of being fun and things you could watch with your, you know, with your kids and, you know, they're rewatchable in a way where you don't have to really fully pay attention. You can kind of enjoy the action scenes or the comedy. Like I, I do kind of understand why people were like, well, what the, like, what the fuck is this thing? Because it, it ends up being the same kind of thing. A lot of the other movies in, in phase four were, which was just like, here's a bunch of multiversal shit that we're going to try and build up to something that you're going to care about while skipping out on a lot of the stuff that made, I think the build up to Avengers Endgame So, so special and unique, but um, also where's Michael Pena in this movie? Like yeah, this movie starts bullshit. with a recap. Oh, like, it man. starts with him recapping his fucking life and narrating his life. And you don't even get Michael Pena. Like I get why Michael Pena isn't in the quantum realm, but like you couldn't get him for the <laughs> beginning and the end of the movie to do the yeah. narrating of the, no, because like, that's the kind of shit. It's like, what? Like, I don't no, know. I still that was it. another thing I wrote about on Twitter is how much the Ant-Man, if you really step back and look at it, Ant-Man is the Marvel movie that has or franchise that has the most stacked cast, like supporting cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby Cannavale, uh, Judy Greer, Michael Pena, David Douse Malchian, even fucking T.I.'s ass weirdly being in the MCU. Like he was funny in that trio. Like and they are it literally has Randall Park. Like it has the fucking best supporting cast of any MCU like pound for pound, everybody's fucking funny and like good and works really well together and to like cut. And there's nothing in this film that replaces that. Not one thing that replaces that in terms of having like the larger banter and humor. Like some of the best scenes are just Hank Pym being so pissed at the, at the fucking ex con guys and just like trying to deal with them. And like Luis trying to fit into the Ant-Man team, having like no expertise or powers, but being fucking hilarious. And yeah, like, how are you going to do a fucking voiceover? One that gets so weird as the last one does and not have like Michael Pena. Like I thought for sure, I thought for sure, like he was going to come in at the end when Scott was like freaking out and having that like anxiety moment. And be like, no, yeah. Scotty, it's all good, man. Like, blah, 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 blah. my cousin told me, like, he saw this thing, and then like do another one of those and take us out. The fact that they cut those, yeah. like, fuck you, man. Those are like the one of my favorite parts of the MCU, or those Luis, like, phone, like those telephone fucking montages. Those things are so good. Anyway, um, yeah, I just I, that's the kind of stuff where it's just sort of like I don't know. I mean, how hard is it to tie all like? I don't know. It's just, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just going to Can I jump in here? All that stuff. Uh, look, one thing I want to jump in defense of, and this is why I do like this movie, I think is, and it speaks to a couple of things you were kind of pointing out, but I I guess the possibility scene, we can start there. I, I love when we see like the, the, the billion Ant-Mans or whatever. And I love how they come together because they agree to do what? Save Cassie. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I love that end moment of that sequence as well is hope saving him The fi- in the final portal escape moment when they're trying to prevent Kang from getting out hope saves him again. So like the family of it all is still the only way they win. And I like how that's kept true throughout this film as well. And you see that double, that same thing is mimicked with Hank and Janet as well in this movie. And th- the thing about Cassie up front and the teenage angst part of it, the, the her, her whole thing about looking up to her dad in the, in the previous movies, uh, it clocks for me, okay, because like she still does, and now she's pissed because he's not the hero anymore. And like like that like he was when she was young, he was the badass. But that was before the blip, and I kind of I understand and I find it relatable that he's like 
this shit's crazy. You don't want to get involved with this. And she's kind of doing it anyways. And that's kind of her hero's journey. And it's, it's muddled and it's fast tracked and they don't do enough to explain a couple things like what went on during the blip with her when they recasted her 15 times. And then also like the, and I wish they showed the sequence. They talk about it briefly at the beginning when she's um, her bail is set, but her, her thing about trying to do something and be a hero on her own, like we kind of gloss over the fact that she was using her like, Pimtech to do that. Like she shrunk yeah, a police yeah. car. Like show that stuff. She was actually doing crazy shit on the streets. Like, and I think that could have been a cool bit on its own. And I do agree and understand it would be very distracting from the main quantum realm plot of it all. But I think there's enough hints there that they 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 wanted to kind of carry that through and we lose a lot of it. But to me, the overall picture of like the family unit and the Cassie and Scott all leading to them both being giant people in that final act. And I will say, I do like the possibility sequence visually. I also do like the third act fight when it's like the rebel. Everyone compares it to Star Wars. I don't, but like that that big third act sequence where the whole rebellion comes in and there's a massive fight. All the units of of the quantum realm are taking on Kang and his weird faceless army. God, I hate faceless armies too in this franchise. I forgot to mention. Oh that, yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. We. I. I don't remember why that like came. Why I thought about that too, but I was like, these faceless fucking army guys. Like it looked like a scene out of the like out of clone you know, like attack of the clones or something like that. Yeah. With the robots or people. Or what like, is that? And then yeah. one more thing. And the biggest thing and it, and it ties, it's, it's a sin. We haven't talked about it, but it ties into all his family stuff is the Modoc of it all. And his personal connection to <laughs> Cassie Scott. Hank and Hope. Like, Modoc <laughs> plays well with those little moments. And I think Modoc yeah. different origin story, but I thought that was crazy. They did it. They gave us Modoc in but they didn't. weird visual face. Sure. But yeah, they didn't need to do that. I thought Modoc actually looked really cool with when he put his face plate down. Like if you just had Darren yeah. Cross's voice coming out of that thing, I'd have been perfectly fine with that too. No, you got to show the goofy face because it's so absurd. You got to see his stupid eyes and all that kind of stuff, right? Ugh, Especially when he's yeah. crying or dying or whatever. No, me and my brother looked at each other and we're like, no. No, no, I disagree. Uh, I, that worked for me. A little <laughs> Modoc. Yeah, everybody's going to be forever split about Modoc. But I, I mean, I'm not going to split that hair too much or like plot yeah, points yeah. like what they did with Cassie. Um, I said I had to put a pin in two things, and I I didn't want to interrupt Ben, but I should have because I knew I'd forget. But now, no, it's fine. It, but one of them I did recover, which was yeah. One thing I'm so sick of is the MCU naming these movies in very hype ways. That and you said you like it was your comparison about this and Doctor Strange and saying you loved yeah multiverse this. Madness. yeah yeah. And I was like yeah, but see, I had the problem, same problem with both of them, which is that you promise this epic thing in these titles where you're saying like you're giving me quantum mania, and it's like no, I got a semi cool kind of romp through a CGI less imaginative version <laughs> of the quantum realm, just like multiverse yeah. of madness. No, I'm gonna take a trip through like three four. main four <laughs> main yeah. places yeah. that are not yeah. all that different or crazy yeah. at all, and it's just like yeah, naming these things and hyping these things up in that way is just like. It's crazy. Um, Do you think yeah, – I, so I, I have a quick question about that. Oh, yeah, go for it. Sorry. Well, like I just have a quick question about that, but then I do want to hear kind of your continuation of this thought. But do you think they do that because they're trying to sell comic books too? No. Like, I don't think Marvel Studios has done shit to sell comic books. And we can talk about that in a different podcast because DC is <laughs> doing the opposite right now. Yeah. I just I, – that's what – I can't like understand – like audiences don't know what an infinity war is. They don't know what quantum mania is. They don't know what, you know, multiverse of madness. Is. Like they don't know these things. So I don't know why they're like, why the movies attach themselves so closely to these things that like, 
you know, none of them are even like or something. No, but it's not even comic fans because they're trying to avoid that. So like they don't, yeah, they don't tip anything. Like the last time Marvel really named stuff in a way that like was just to the point, let fans know, and actually worked and got hype up was in Phase Two. Uh, the Winter Soldier and yeah, Age yeah. of Ultron. Those were big reveals, remember? Like, yeah. when we heard those titles, it was like, oh, shit, Civil War. Like, and yeah, I think Infinity War was probably the last one that told us, like, oh, shit, you know, this is going to be some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. After Since then, it's just been, like, random weird titles that I feel like they're just throwing out of, like, I feel like they have a South Park manatees and a fucking tank just like throwing out words quantum mania multiverse of madness and it's like not only is or do, do we not doing that much crazy stuff like with these like the title implies but like yeah like i don't know man it's just it the tone that those titles suggests or not even like these are like more all of these have been kind of sobering post-covid contemplations of death and life. We have a writer named uh, Nicole Drum on comicbook.com who did an excellent piece about how all the Phase 4 films are stages of grief ending with Wakanda forever being like this deep thing about acceptance and stuff like that. But the point is, no matter how you feel about how each of these films lines up to this idea, to to each of the stages, and if that's relevant or not, like they are pretty fucking somber films, like all of them in some way or like dealing with some really heavy life shit. And so, or family shit. So, um, yeah, the titles seem all like crazy adventure fun. And it's like, yeah, some of them are, but this wasn't quantum mania. This was like crazy quirky Ant-Man thing until Jonathan majors. Kang comes in and starts stomping people's cameras in with his boot. And then like very different film back to quirky shit. Kang comes in gets a little scary again. And like, but we all know that Janet and Kang fit, right? Like we all know that, right? <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, in, in the film, like, just in the film, um, yeah, yeah. That no, I mean, I mean, she heavily implies that she was like, you know, she had needs. She got with Bill Murray, like, you know, her and uh, who knows. That was a shit thing. cameo, by the way. What a waste. Uh, what a fucking... Well, that idiot spoiled it. Like, I think that was supposed to be something that nobody talked about. I don't think he would have ever been yeah. in the call sheet and all that <laughs> shit. I don't think his ass would have gotten a poster yeah. and all that. Like, yeah. like, I think he was just supposed to show up and we were all supposed to be like, holy fuck, like Zombieland. Like, oh shit, Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah. And then True, he gets eaten. Yeah. And then he gets eaten by a space Can't monster, happen. just like in Zombieland. That shit would have been amazing. Yeah, hilarious. And then he went out and fucking was like, "Oh, I've been Ant Man. <laughs> I'm in something." <laughs> yeah, and then Marvel leaned into him. Put yeah, him, put him in the first trailer, and I was like, "Oh man, why'd you guys do that?" So no, you do it because yeah, now you just got to hype Bill Murray and try to sell the film. Like I get that. You make a fake ass poster yeah. like he's a big deal in the film, and he's not. There's no reason I, he needs I, a poster. Uh, Nobody knows Krylar and Bill Murray's in that movie for like 10, five, all of five minutes. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of want to go back to Modoc really quick because I did have mixed feelings about that. Um, I kind of like that they did do it. I think Modoc is a fun character. I think when he's zipping around, when they first introduce him and he's kind of zipping around just being crazy and stuff, it, it sort of jives with a version of the character I enjoy seeing. But like man by the end of it it's just like he's just kind of 
like the Avengers thing and stuff like that. It's like, what does it even <laughs> fucking mean to be an Avenger anymore? I don't like, I just like, don't even, I guess like, I think a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I think it's funny. Like, I guess I liked it, but there was also stuff where I was like, I, I don't know how to feel about half of this. Um, that was the one part uh, I did like. The part I hated was the whole "don't be a dick" speech thing, and then him flying. Oh, the like, don't I'm be a dick. I'm not a dick. I was like, this is yeah. 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 I was like, guys, yeah. this isn't it. No, I liked the thing, yeah. but at least I died. Of, like that was more <laughs> Ant Man style, though. That's like where it's like yeah. Paul Rudd, that kind of Judd Apatow, Paul Paul Rudd school of humor. Like at least yeah, I died in yeah. Avenger, and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, buddy, yeah. But the, yeah. it's it goes beyond that. It's like everybody because he has like a moment with everybody with Scott, Hank, and everyone's like, what, <laughs> Darren? Like what, what happened? To Darren? Yeah, to Darren? And he's like, stop fun. calling me that. I'm Modok. Yeah. And then the intro where they reference him as like the hunter, and he's like the the mobile whatever organized for killing yeah. whatever. Like and his like, that first shot when you see him from like underneath the camera, and he's got like the chainsaw yeah. things that he's charging in. I'm like, this is awesome. And yeah. it's, it's like so ridiculous when you think about it, but we're so desensitized to the ridiculous that it actually works. Man, I love that movie. Yeah. Shit. I hope they bring him back. That, uh, yeah, that stuff was fun. I, d- I also agree that the, like, I'm not a dick stuff was stupid. I think part of the reason with the, like the thing with the, I'm not a dick or don't be a dick stuff is also like, like I get that he terrorized Cassie when she was a kid and you know, that was traumatic for her and, but man, the way they try and work that into this story is pretty, pretty. Oh, funny. there it is. Oh God, I can't, I can't lose this again. I can't lose this again. You just reminded me. Okay, okay thank God. Um, the biggest thing that I had a problem with this, and okay, maybe this is me just inventing story, but it wasn't. It was implied in the trailers. In like half of the comic book staff, we went into this, and it actually caused the biggest, like, interesting philosophical debate about this film that we thought we were getting. Which is the trailers make it out to seem like like that Kang is hiring Scott to do this thing and that Scott's not so much reluctant because Kang finds an angle to get at him, which is I can give you back time, right? The time and the yeah. trailers cut it to make it seem like he was that that Scott's dilemma in this film was worrying about the time he had lost with Cassie and now being in this yeah. place where she's a teenager and he doesn't truly understand her anymore because of the time that he lost. Right. And like yeah. doing that and that Kang's offer is actually something that's enticing to him because it sparked this whole debate there are, you know, we have a fair amount of parents among the staff and everybody was like, immediately some people were like, Oh yeah, I would totally do that. And I was like, no, I wouldn't. And they were like, yeah. even if we do it, I was like, no, I would just deal with my kid and try to figure out where I was now and try to do something crazy just to get time back. And they were like, oh, no, I totally would. And it was like a 50-50 split. And people were like very passionate about their side of this. So I thought that was actually going to be like a bigger part of this movie, not because I'm inventing that, but because the fucking trailers made it seem like it would be. That's right. And it's yeah. like, that was the main hook. And I feel like somebody else said, and maybe Paul Rudd was like, oh, I don't know. I don't want Scott to be looked at as a bad guy again. We come on this journey. And I get that. Like, Scott, stop being a thief and shit. But, like, that would have been interesting, not just for Scott as a character, like, because that thief side of him is still there, like, in stealing something that was, you know, worth it to him to get back time and you would understand that and that compelling reason and it made Kang seem much more compelling as a villain because he's not just buff beat the shit out of you blast you guy he's actually getting inside your head and doing that thing where a villain seems like he's not so much a villain like James Cameron's out here still saying Thanos was right and shit you know what I mean yeah yeah 
So I have a question. So it, in in the film for that moment though, the ultimatum instead becomes if you don't do this, I'm going to kill Cassie. Yeah. Right. So I understand that it's obviously a simplified version because I, I, the, the conversation around what you're saying sounds amazing. It requires another level of writing probably for this film, but I do think giving that choice though, there are two options versus the one option just ruins Scott as a character. So I think Paul Rudd's right about that. It wouldn't make any fucking sense to have him even, Consider. you know what I mean? Like he's got no choice. He has to save his daughter. So that's why he has to do this ridiculous over the top thing and sacrifice the universe potentially. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how any other way around it. Like it, he had to really motivate Scott with this time thing in a different way. Um, and the whole intro of the film would have to be entirely different with Cassie, I think, uh, which probably speaks to your other point about the dropping the angsty teenage rebel in prison shit. But um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. That is interesting. Hey man, yeah. they sold it to me. I didn't invent it. Well, there were yeah. a lot of reshoots, right? The, the ending's different. It's been widely publicized, and I think there I would no have stakes for the main characters. Like everyone comes out of this alive at the end, you know. So, okay, this is this is one of the other things I want to talk about. I was quite surprised that like Hank Pym and Janet made it out of this thing. Like one or the other, I thought was on track to also just because of who these people are as actors. Like, is Michelle Pfeiffer trying to come back for a fourth one of these? You know, or for like a like oh, I don't. It surprised me that after her being, and her in particular, being kind of the cause of some of this, that there wasn't more of a sacrifice that she had to pay or that Hank paid on her behalf because of all this time. Because if this whole story is about time you have with your daughter and the time you lost and stuff like that, like I was sort of expecting Hank to pay a sacrifice for Janet to get out so that Janet could have the time with hope that she didn't have that he got to have like i felt like that was kind of a more complete message on this like story of you know the importance of time and stuff than where we kind of landed with some of this because i was i just like wasn't emotional about almost anything like nothing moved me in this movie and you know i get it's an ant-man movie but i think we're all parents now like i feel like this kind of shit should be the kind of thing that i'm like you know, more connected to now, because I think about, you know, if I, just like you were saying, Kofi, it's like, if I had time lost all that time with my daughter, like what would I do to get that time back? I I think the timing of everything fucked everything up. I think coming after Panther and love and thunder, which deal with losing a daughter and then losing Chadwick. I think doing a three-peat of that is probably a bit much. Um, There was a lot of also speculation early on that Scott was going to eat it in this one, in an early version of this movie. So I understand coming after those two movies, having the family friendly one not deal with direct family loss right away. And that's probably why, like, I don't know if there was ever really an original thought about doing four Ant-Man films. I think now that's just what they have to do sort of thing. Um, But yeah, it's a good point. But I also, again, I kind of understand it. It would just be weird if we came out of this and, you know, we, we lost Janet for 30 years to get her back. And then Hank dies right away or she dies right away. I don't know. Did you like, you finally have Cassie's an adult after, the blip and then you kill Scott. Like, I don't know what they do. I, there's no w- way around that way that that's satisfying to me. Um, but again, I don't know. They did too much too yeah. fast with this franchise. They're in a weird spot right now, but I think what you're saying has to happen in Ant-Man four. Right. So, yeah. Um, Is there it, anything else you guys really want to, I was sad. Whatever goggles died. The guy, the freaking dude with the like arc reactor for a head or whatever. Oh yeah. At the beginning, yes. I can't remember what that character's name was, but 
I was sad about yeah. that. I did, I, you know, I thought the ants were cool at the end. It, it did feel just kind of like one faceless army coming after another faceless army. But I, one of the things that, like, we already said, you know, John Infant Majors is a real standout in this, and as is this version of Kang. But, man, when he goes down and he just starts, like, evaporating people, and then, I mean, then he forgets that he can do that when he's facing off against the Ant-Man people, but, um, or the Ant-Man family. But I did, I did, I was like, man, that was brutal. Like these people like freaking evaporating in front of their, like this army is just getting like leveled. Um, yeah, I thought that was a cool goes, shot too of his face and and stuff like that. He uh, went full force unleashed down there for a moment, then he started doing yeah. a little Iron Man impression <laughs> with the individual blast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. I'll say one more thing too. I know there's a lot of like speculating about William Jackson Harper Harper's character. Um, yeah. I, I like seeing him, and I guess this type of humor fits the Ant-Man franchise, but it's so weird seeing such a human-esque character down there um, yeah. with the weird telepath thing. So I, I don't know. Like that's One part of me is like, oh, I love him. That's a really funny character. The other part of me is like, this doesn't really feel like a quantum realm type character. Like, with yeah, the yeah. Head. I don't know. So, but uh, yeah, I was, I yeah, I mean, I kind of, I think that once you start thinking about like the actual quantum realm, everything, it just sort of breaks down, right? Like I, yeah. You know, it's like there are people down there, but, you know, then there's, they're not really people. And like, I think, was I reading an article too that like at one point in the original Ant-Man or in the second one, they actually like, Peyton Reed actually explained like how like Scott could breathe in the quantum realm. And it was because the air in his suit like would shrink down with him and then like and then that sort of breaks in this movie because it's like you know he's just taking his helmet off and that air would escape and then he wouldn't be able to actually like breathe or something i know that's like super nerdy but it's like i feel like in the past they actually did like a semi-decent job of kind of grounding some of the ridiculousness of the pym stuff in like actual science like they actually made an effort to kind of try and explain those in interviews like they'd actually thought about it whereas this they just are like yoloing it it's the mask problem. I mean, how would they ever explain yeah. Janet being down there for 30 years? Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's I, the rules, even, even the, the, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the time of it all, when Janet went down there and for 30 years or whatever, 30 years passed when Scott went down there, five years was five hours to him and he came back for end game. So it's like, yeah. what, is that a different pocket of this realm where time is just different? I don't know. It's part of the thing where they, again, they scrape the surface of this, civilization and these like pocket universes and holes and they don't really explain or get into the lore of any of that which is a shame because kang's been there dominating for all this time yeah um, so the more interesting parts of the lore they just play fast and loose with because truth be told they just don't give a shit right like they don't yeah. the, the, we can talk about the retcons and little issues and like where's the ghost of it all and i don't know it's just yeah. they, they lose track of the little threads they're setting up because of just like they want to go for the larger basic story tentpole beat to move on to the next thing. So yeah, like those details mattered when we did junkets and visits for Ant-Man <laughs> one. And now they're right. like, ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look over here. Look over here. We have MODOK. Yeah. 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 Look. Yeah. yeah. That's true. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm like, I, I feel like we, you know, we've been kind of tough on these movies lately and I'm, I'm kind of just like wondering what it's, I know they're slowing down a little bit, which, you know, will, I think will be appreciated. They have some, you know, they have some good ones coming up that I think people are obviously going to be, you know, maybe stand a chance like the Marvels and stuff of just kind of being like a little bit of a break from some of this with just some charming characters that you care about. But I like I am kind of in the Guardians looks kind of heavy. 
Um, and there's some kind of questionable things I feel like in that, like, I don't know how they're going to deal with this, like star Lord Gamora stuff. I like that stuff in the trailer. Where you're, like, <laughs> you're talking about, she came back as a dick or whatever. Like, that's pretty, like, that's pretty funny. But like, I mean, I am kind of curious, like, you know, what they're going to try and do here, like with some of that stuff. But <sighs> yeah, you're, you're not wrong. My hope for guardians in particular, to use that example, is that they, the trailers so far have been almost identical and show very little. I hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's my hope. Plus, of course, that script has been in, in the oven for five years, given the yeah, yeah. firing, rehiring of DC uh, CEO, <laughs> James Gunn. James Gunn. Uh, yeah. But look, you're, you're not wrong. It, 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 we are rightfully harsh and we're rightfully exhausted. And, and it, I hate to – I all of us are probably against the idea of superhero fatigue. But there's certainly Marvel Studios Phase 4 fatigue. And they released 18 things in the span of like, what, two and a half years? And most of it, for me – it's mediocre, especially the Disney Plus stuff. In fact, you look back at all the movies and shows in the last three years, the only thing that scratches like A tier is like Shang-Chi and then maybe Werewolf by Night and She-Hulk a bit. But everything else is below that. Be, you know what I, mean? no, no. I think it'd be a little too harsh. I think WandaVision was good. Loki was good. I, think those I have good. those, but they're not they're not like if as as like prestige well, flash was, shows for Disney. Those Plus. were the most fun to kind of discuss with everybody, like I think. Hundred percent. Yeah. And but, and they both had a kind of a big thing they set up, you know what I mean? And and, and uh, they're likable bits. But as a quality show, though, they are not Andor. And it took them a long time to get there. And they are not the flagship top three shows on any other streaming service. You know what I mean? They're just not on that level. And I no. feel like we'd all hoped they would be for the big ones, right? But, like, you know, as much as I love Amon and Miss Marvel, like, half that show was dog shit to me. And it's still one of my favorites. Like, Moon Knight, to me, is forgettable. Hawkeye's my favorite character in uh, people like, are actually the best Avenger. And 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 like <laughs> and it's like that's even okay. And No Way Home is like whatever. And and it's below that with Widow, Eternals, Love and Thunder, Falcon and the Soldier, Holiday Special. These are all like like not even good to me. And then I know you, you, know, you guys would disagree with me. I'll say it one more time because I fucking hate it. But what if I think is trash? And I know Kofi, you like it. This one episode. No, I think. I, whoa, 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 whoa. I think what if is a great like. <laughs> put on in the background while you're working show to have on it's fun fucking marvel stories with the cast like and they got the actual voice cast like you know like uh Most it's of them, okay yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's okay it's yeah, not it's like just, uh, it's a big old waste of resources as they say no. that's what i would say animation's <laughs> never animation's never a waste of resources because it's never a waste of imagination robert that's true let's go watch spider-verse that's what the real marvel universe is into yeah. the spider-verse baby yeah, I just like I just wish they'd come with like I want I want the MCU's like Andor or something, you know, something oh, that, like boy, gets me excited. Luck. I just mean, you know, something that gets me excited again and kind of like <laughs> regrounds me because I feel like I feel like all these movies, even with, with like as much as I like Wakanda forever, like just the sheer <laughs> volume of CGI. Uh, I'll, and- I'll see you at Deadpool three. That's the only thing to get like <laughs> really excited for. Thunderbolts, maybe like. We'll see what yeah. they do with Thunderbolts. Which is so but. funny because who would have fucking thought like the Thunderbolts would be the thing that we'd be like. I mean, like I like I like no, it. I've been stuck for Thunderbolts for a long time. I think it's long overdue. They let DC have two suicide squads without doing Thunderbolts. It's like yeah. And what do we do instead? Yeah. We did Eternals instead. So fuck out of here, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think Deadpool three will be the next time we have like maybe a lot of fun with an MCU. And I think secret, yeah, I think yeah. secret invasion could be good, but I don't even know if that's coming anymore. Is it like do we even know? I know Loki I season two only- is coming, and uh, what's the other shit that's coming this year? 
Is it Secret Invasion? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, those yeah I think Secret yeah. Invasion could be another WandaVision and in terms of like there might not be I think a lot of that they're gonna be do a lot of tricks. Like it'll be a lot of talkies, like it's just a lot of scenes yeah. of people meeting up, having shady conversations and shit. But I think it'll spark theories and get us talking and and be fun week to week around the water cooler. That's my prediction. That's refreshing, man. Yeah. For all the reasons you're saying, plus it's like we have a talented cast with writing and the focus is on them acting, not like the the, the VFX house of it all. Yeah. yeah. Weird weird to say about a scroll focused storyline, but still, um, that is the case. Uh, I'll, I'll say one more thing. Uh, part of this problem in phase four is the biggest problem. Again, 18 projects versus like five or six in the previous phases. Um, we are at the problem. We, the three of us, talked about way back in the day, and I, I've always identified this as a major issue of when Marvel Studios gets everything. They did too much too fast, and the quality yeah. suffered. So now, and we are, we are, we're so weird. We're praising them, and we're waiting for them to slow down. But it means the fear came true. They do not have the capacity, and there's not enough VFX houses in the world to support a single company doing all of these characters and stories justice on appropriate timelines. So now we have like Sony making a bunch of weird ass fucking Spider-Man spin-offs no one cares about. And then Marvel Studios is everything else. And we're waiting years and years and years. I have years faith in that Madam Web, baby. It could be. Yeah, I mean, I get a huge cast. Good. We'll see. But yeah. where's Craven at? Um Morbius Holy shit. Uh, Holy shit. Craven. Oh my God, Craven. I fucking completely even forgot about that. You don't I even know. Nobody knows, knows anything. The side of that car. Like, They've done nothing for that movie. Nothing. There's not. Uh, yeah. Have they shown even one thing like officially or not even a single leaked? official thing? They wouldn't even talk about it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like all we ever yeah. saw was the set photos, right? Of him like hanging on the side of the car, or something like that. Oh good yeah, lord! Oh, <laughs> oh man! Uh, you're oh, right though. Man. This is something that you like. You especially, I think. Yeah, you, you did all say that. this for a long time, but. That was Rob's big anti-monopoly. I just thought yeah. it was Canadian, you know, communism. No, but like, you know, I mean, now it's come true. I'll say this: 20th Century Fox screwed the pooch with ending up their their X Men franchise for sure. But like, go back to the era where we're hitting Days of Future Past and what they were setting up with Logan and Deadpool. You're like, oh my god, they're starting to do it. And they had the production slate where they were doing three and then four per year. Marvel Studios was moving to four movies per year. Sony was bringing back Spider Man was going to move to two, three, and I was like, oh my god, we're we're hitting peak. We're going to get nine, ten, twelve. Big budget Marvel superhero films and theaters per year, and it's like, oh. No, no, no. It all came crumbling down. Yeah, no, real fast. And, and now I get no X-Men for five years. And it's like, oh, my God. This is the worst case scenario. And what Marvel Studios is doing, and of course, pandemic, blah, 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 streaming wars, blah, blah, blah. But to me, Phase 4 was kind of dog shit. So it's, it's – that's the most disappointing result where they shotgun blast so many projects and characters. And now I have no idea when Moon Knight's coming back. I don't know what Kate Bishop's up to. <laughs> like, you yeah, know what I mean? It's crazy. Know it's Nobody even knows. Even in the how, universe. How did I miss the set photos of Craven the Hunter with these like booties on where they're oh, like man. make his feet look like oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how I missed these. I just I remember the one of him hanging off the side of the car, but now I'm seeing I I could not remember these for whatever reason. Was this while I was out of the game? Oh, this is while I was out of the game. This was like this was like a month after I left. Like, officially was out of screen rant. No April. one blames you. Nobody at Sony yeah. knows how to make a poster for this film. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, okay. Well, you want to talk about a franchise that I do want to see more of, Kofi? Yeah. 
Okay, so I mean, so Cocaine Bear comes out this week, and so like we can do this as a bit of a preview, no spoilers type thing. Um, <laughs> like spoiler, a bear it's gets in really, yeah, a bunch it's of not really spoilers for this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, exactly it's, look. Uh, this is easy because I'm gonna fall asleep soon. Um, Cocaine Bear is exactly what it fucking is advertised as. Elizabeth Banks yeah. delivers a wild, zany story about a bear who Just got into a bag of cocaine yeah. and she fills <laughs> in that framework with a bunch of fictional storylines um for me i wrote a review it's up on comicbook.com horror it basically just says like what's interesting about this film is the way that she kind of makes this foe underneath this crazy you know slasher horror animal thing she puts together this almost like faux indie drama movie about these different characters and these all like a lot of them in these kind of like, you know, exaggerated dramatic situations like Carrie Russell's a, a mother looking for her two kids in the woods. There's this whole thing about yeah. Alden Einrich and uh, O'Shea Jackson and Ray Liotta being this kind of crew slash family of drug dealers. And they're having this big issue because of some tragedy that happened within the family and, they're all trying to deal with it. So there's these actual like weird dramatic stories in there. And that's the kind of like the funny joke about the whole thing is you get these kind of weird vignettes where there are these dramatic storylines between characters. There's like a whole thing about a ranger who's just trying to get laid and, you know, is really has a crush on this guy. And like, there's all these weird vignette stories and it all matters until a fucking bear on cocaine comes rushing in and then shit yeah. just goes sideways. <laughs> and so that's the kind of the ebb and flow of the movie is like, and it works because, you know, she does, Elizabeth Banks never takes any of it too seriously. So it's not like taking yeah, itself yeah. too seriously, but you do get these like weirdly engaging enough storylines f- from a collection of actors who are all pretty good. You know what I mean? You're talking like half the cast of the Americans, Alden Einrich, some in like, other people we like to see so yeah. like in like yeah and that's just kind of how it works and so it delivers all the kind of and when it does turn into like go sideways quickly into horror slasher it's it's fucking pretty gnarly i mean there's some pretty gory kills a bear fucks people up there's some incredible like set pieces like the the ambulance set piece that you oh, see yeah. in the in the trailer is like like the bear jumping at that ambulance in the trailer is not even the craziest thing that comes out of that sequence. Like, and like, like by, by far. And like, it has one of the just like most like grisly and sort, but also kind of funny death scenes that I've ever seen in a movie. Um, yeah, it, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to? Do you have any more you want to say about it? I don't want to cut I'm you just off. Saying, like, I mean, and that's the fun of it. It keeps you engaged because instead of just being like from the bear's perspective, like I said, there are these different kind of almost vignettes you get with different characters and and their storylines and what's going on between them, and then all of a sudden, a fucking bear on cocaine rushes in and shit goes sideways. Um, yeah. So good job for Elizabeth Banks. That's it. Like, yeah, I'll kind of, you know, I won't belabor it either. But yeah, I mean, I loved it. This is this kind of thing is, you know, my jam because it's kind of like bad. Out of five before Ben says some four star shit. I mine was three point five out of five. All right, <laughs> four. I'd have gone four point five out of five. No, I mean, I'd probably be somewhere out of three point five or four. I like because I I think like if we talk about like what is this movie attempting to do? Does it deliver on its promises? Yes, it one hundred percent does. Like, you know, I was a person who was anticipating and super excited and grabbed a group of friends to go see snakes on a plane. But 
I think people are going to kind of mistake this for the same sort of thing as snakes on a plane. But the difference is like snakes on a plane was like absurd. And there was, you know, some of this gory, gory stuff in it. And the, you know, the plot was sort of this just like, I don't know, like, you know, studios sort of throwing, like throwing darts at a board type, type thing. But the difference here is that this thing actually does have some of these characters that you have these sort of fleeting moments of sympathy for, or, you know, you're kind of invested in. And it's, it's sort of like a, it like really borrows from kind of the eighties horror comedy template. It feels like, you know, it's, it's cribbing off of like stranger things and some of the eighties nostalgia that we have these days with like music choices and just kind of the like Spielberginess of it at times. Um, and so I think like it's kind of operating on a level that's higher than just like, you know, like dangerous animal, you know, gets cocaine and, and sort of goes nuts. Like, like I'm just, I'm, there's so many like vivid images that I have in my mind from the film that are also like very ridiculous at the same time, but it mixes that comedy and horror like really, really intelligently and paces itself really, really well in that regard. So you'll have a really gory sort of, you know, horror movie inspired set piece. And because of the nature of (laughs) the bear experiencing like ingesting more and more cocaine and kind of having these like ups and downs where it sort of crashes and then gets reactivated and stuff like you kind of get these just like ridiculous things that are very funny that the bear is doing and sort of acting against what is a really sort of uh, like, I don't know you like, I don't know if unique is the right word, but interesting cast. Like you have Jesse Tyler Ferguson from modern family. You have O'Shea Jackson Jr. is the word you're searching for. Yeah. Eclectic for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like you have Carrie Russell, you have Ray Liotta, you know, like Alden, like Einrich, like, you have the dude from TikTok, you have Margot Martindale, like there's so many different people that are in this kind of doing, doing their thing that like having them acting against this bear that is it sometimes terrifying and then sometimes just like goofy as shit. And at other times is almost doing like, you know, MCU level, like CGI heroic stuff is, uh, is just like a really, really fun canvas to sort of be like navigating and, and walking through. But I don't know. Like I can't, like I kind of can't recommend people see the movie enough. Like I really, really enjoyed it. The person that I was with had zero interest in seeing this movie um, up until me kind of being like, look, I'm going to go and it's going to be just sort of goofy or whatever. And they walked out of it being like, that was really fun and would totally go see it again with their partner and stuff. So I don't know. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to kind of describe it. I don't know, but I think people who might be dismissing it as kind of like in that same camp as like, snakes on a plane or i heard people kind of can you know comparing it to like sharknado or something you know like oh it's just like a big budget sharknado like it's not that like it's operating on a different level and sorry could you say that sorry siri um hey listen yeah i don't know i I just yeah i definitely dug it uh i dug it a lot i I definitely enjoyed it but i it also does a thing that like kind of sets the stage potentially for sequels which i think is sort of funny um as well uh, just in, in some kind of like act three stuff that they do a bit, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I dug it a lot. I, uh, I liked it. Rob, are you going to go see cocaine bear? Oh, I'm so in for this, man. They got, we, yeah. uh, I love having open and fun they're having on social media. The cocaine yeah. bear oh, account the is highly recommended yeah, follow, really, really but yeah. like, 
everyone evolved. Like uh, we were at Sundance and they were talking about it there and like everyone was awesome and we took, got to talk to Alden Ehrenreich like three times for this film. So I love how open they are, how much fun they're having with it. You can tell like this is actually – yeah. They feel awesome making this and the timing's yeah. right. And it's the, the, the vibe online is very positive. And the, uh, what's the TikTok comedian who's in it who shared that video today? Yeah. Um, Scott Sice. Yeah. That's Scott. The dude yeah, that does right. the, he does the Ikea, like, you know, that's videos it. He did a really videos. funny video actually poking fun at like Marvel <laughs> to promote it today. <laughs> so like they're, they're doing everything right. So, um, and, he's uh, like he's actually like quite good in it too. I mean, you know, he you know he does, he plays like kind of a one off character that's on screen for like five minutes. But sure, you know, when you hear like there's like a TikTok guy that's going to be in a movie like this, you think they're going to sort of stand out or they're going to be doing their like TikTok thing. But he's actually just like you know genuinely kind of funny and like has does some physical comedy and, and stuff like that. But well, he's like um, the most likable TikTok star I'm aware of. <laughs> so yeah. that's awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah. What I was going to say. Also, yeah, it's, what I also love about this, and this is something I, I have not seen the film, but I'll speak to this point anyways, uh, about like the, the, the smart social aspect of it. Like we got to exclusively debut on Screen Rant. The, uh, like they're doing R-rated Funko Pops for this film, which they haven't really oh, done before. Dope. Like how yeah. cool is that? So you have like age-gated trailers we're putting on Instagram and Twitter for like these R-rated cocaine bear Funko Pops. I'm like, man, they really get it with this one. So props yeah. to the business angle of it all. And obviously there's a big crew behind it and on camera. So I am hundred percent going to see it this weekend. The uh, yeah, the I I think you kind of summed up like how I even described the film. I was just like Elizabeth Banks like got the assignment, like that was kind of like what it was. Yeah. It was like you're gonna do this like adaptation of this true story of a dead bear they found, you know, and they wrote this New York Times thing or whatever about like this bear that they know got into this ca- like cocaine and died, and then you know, but you're gonna imagine like what happened during that uh you know during that period of time and like like the, what they came up with is is quite entertaining but um okay kofi if you had to choose between this or ant-man to see again this weekend what would you see i mean that's that's such a it's kind of a fucked up question Dick because <laughs> i mean obviously the answer is ant-man not because i think it's like a better movie but just because of the yeah. nature of my fucking job and everything I have, yeah, to do, I, I usually yeah. have to go see those crazy mar- monologue and exposition scenes at least twice, so I can get That's everything fair. I need to pick out. But, um, dude, I, I don't think I need to rush back to the theater. I think Cocaine Bear, and I wrote this in my review. Whether people like check it out in the theater or not, I think it's destined for like, it's destined to be one of those cult classics, just totally. because of yeah. how they've made it and marketed it. And just because there's so many things, I mean, the gifts, memes, quotables, like clips, like all that shit's going to yeah. live on. So like, there's so many of those <laughs> that are going to live on in this movie. It's yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely true. Um, awesome. Well, we can wrap media, up there. So yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, well, let us know, you know, what you guys thought of Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantumania and Cocaine Bear uh, by hitting us up on, on social media um, you can follow me at Ben Kendrick. That's B E N K E N D R I C K. You can check out what I'm doing over at Static Media. We run Slashfilm, Looper, some of the, the movie sites that you guys are probably familiar with. Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys. That's K E Y E S. I like you on Instagram and Twitch sometimes. And check out our stuff on Screen Rant. Yep. And special guest Kofi Outlaw. 
You can find me at Kofi Outlaw on all socials. You can also check me out every week on the hopefully award-winning Comic Book Nation podcast where we do it all for geek culture, the only show that does it all for geek culture. I mean, this one comes pretty close, but, I mean, we do it all. I don't know how much anime we do on this side. Otherwise, you can find my work still up on comicbook.com. I'm on the videos. I'm on the written side. I'm all over the place. But, uh, yeah, I'm out here. But you can't see me. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. That helps us spread word about the show. Otherwise, we will see you guys next week. I'm not sure what we have. Maybe we'll talk cocaine bear after after Rob's seen it and more. You guys have seen it, um, but you know we'll uh, we'll see. I guess with the Creed three is next week, right? Creed three is this week. Yeah. All right. So maybe awesome. that we'll see what uh, right, we'll see what we get on with. I don't know. No, I mean we'll see. That's like a, that's we'll see. What's that? That's interesting. You haven't seen you haven't seen Creed two because I actually haven't seen Creed two. No. What? I love Creed two. It's got an amazing soundtrack. No, I haven't seen it. I, never I believe it. it. I'm sure I would like I it. Was, I, just, I think uh, Creed 1 was like, I think, maybe one of the last things I did for SR, actually. Was the junket, the junket for, for it. Yeah, right? in Philly. Yeah. 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 Wow. It was crazy. I met uh, – that was an amazing junket. We had so much fun. I had, like, the best – I still have these tapes. I have the best conversation with, like, Ryan Coogler. And with, oh my God, like I had the best, like flirty, weird conversation with fucking Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson loved me. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Oh, I saved that and listened to it when I'm down. And literally, and she was like, she was like, that was an amazing conversation. Is, is every journalist going to be like, is this going to be like this all day? And then the like, slickest God. moment. And in the slickest moment I will ever have in my motherfucking life. I said, hell no, there's only one of me. And that totally made her laugh. Oh, and like, damn. <laughs> and, uh, I, like walked out the door. And I was like, that's the coolest that's thing I'm ever going to do. Ever in my life. That's amazing. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. Uh, I remember the Kugel interview because you guys had a deep conversation about Black Panther. It was before he got yep. the gig. Yeah. Which was awesome. Yeah, yeah that was crazy. That's so that fucking crazy. That's so crazy. You were like, it's been that long now. Like I, I don't know. It always just feels like I'm sure it feels like that long to you because I know you. No, it feels like you know. it's it's like trying to remember college after, during grad school. Like after grad, yeah. after you graduated grad school, now it's just like oh yeah, now college was like even that far away. Yeah, yeah it's getting crazy, old, man. Yeah, we're coming it's, up. We're coming up on fucking. I'm coming close to the amount of time that I've been now doing this comic book shit. Like than I was doing screen rant stuff. It's getting wow, to be like people measure. This is. Yeah, this is my fifteenth year at Screen Rant. Yeah, that's right. That's crazy. You that like, crazy? Yeah, that's a fifteen-year career right there. Yeah. I had a teenager. Jeez. <laughs> you would have crazy. a teenager if we weren't yeah. also fucking stressed out and dedicated to Screen Rant in the early days. <laughs> yeah. oh, <my> God. <laughs> and now, <laughs> no fucking lives. Yeah, uh, that's funny. All right. Well, good night, guys. Good night, listeners. We will. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. 